am Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. And if this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and we will be mostly in Genesis 6 and 7. All right. So starting in chapter 6, verse 19, you are also to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. So, everyone is familiar with the story about how all the animals came into the ark two by two. I guess it's actually one by one, since one male and one female. And as we can see, Noah didn't have to go around gathering them up. Who would want to go gathering up like predators, you know, like wildcats and other dangerous animals? You know, here, kitty, kitty, doesn't really work on the caracals and the leopards that are common where Noah was living. And there are also bears. God told Noah not to worry about that sort of thing because the animals would come to him. And I bet that was a huge relief, right? And they would come in groups of two, one male and one female. But did you know that not all animals arrived that way? There was a very special group of animals that came aboard, not in groups of two, one male and one female, so that they could have babies and not go extinct, but in groups of 14, seven females and seven males. Why were some animals more important than others? And what kinds of animals are we talking about? And what about them is so special? Maybe not what you think. This is Genesis 7. And the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all the clean animals, and two of the animals that are not clean, a male and its female, and seven pairs, male and female, of the birds in the sky, in order to keep their offspring alive throughout the earth. So, what's a clean animal? Now, we might be tempted to say cats because they spend all their time licking themselves, but that wouldn't be correct. What about raccoons? Did you know that raccoons like to wash their food in water before they eat it? That's pretty clean of them, but it doesn't make them a clean animal. There are actually two entirely different kinds of clean animals in the Bible. Animals that are clean for eating and animals that are clean for sacrificing to God on an altar. But how do we know what the clean animals were and which ones are being talked about here? Well, let's put on our critical thinking caps. We find out about the animals that God says his people can eat in Leviticus 11, which includes cows, sheep, goats, deer, elk, and moose, and even animals like giraffes. It's kind of complicated, and we won't talk about that today, but God told his people that there were certain animals that were acceptable and unacceptable as food, and that translates as clean, meaning okay to eat, and unclean, meaning not okay to eat. It has nothing to do, actually, with being clean. If that was true, then I guess we could eat humans, because they're always taking showers and baths, right? 
Great googly moogly, no. Now, according to the Bible, cats and dogs are not okay to eat. They're unclean. Does that mean that we can't have them in our houses as pets? Not at all. They're only unacceptable or unclean for eating. As long as they're alive, it's no problem. They can live with us and snuggle with us, and it's all just fine. And I know it can be confusing, but clean and unclean are always about what is right and wrong to do in certain situations. Where certain things should and should not be, it isn't about dirt. Not when the words clean and unclean are used in the Bible anyway. I want you to think about it this way. Is dirt bad? Of course not. God made dirt, and it's good for what it was created for, and dirt was created to be outside. Dirt is so useful. In the garden, we can grow fruit trees and vegetables and watermelons and all sorts of wonderful things. We can also grow flowers and grass or, you know, even houseplants. So I guess we could say dirt is clean in a flower pot. (laughs) But I want you to think for a minute what our lives would be like without dirt. Well, for one thing, we'd be pretty dead pretty quick because we'd have no food and You might be tempted to say, well, Miss Tyler, we can eat the animals. And I would say that you're right, except what do the animals eat? Uh Uh-oh. The animals eat plants. No plants, no animals, no us. And we'd run out of fish fairly quickly if that's all there was to eat. Does that mean that dirt belongs everywhere just because it's good and God made it to be good? Nope. Dirt outside is awesome, but dirt in... Inside the house is not where it belongs, you know, except in flower pots. So we sweep it up or wash it off and put it back outside where it belongs. I guess we can say that outside, dirt is clean, and inside, dirt is unclean. When something is where it belongs and being used for what it should be used for, the Bible would call it clean. And when it is not where it belongs and not being used for what it should be used for, the Bible calls it unclean. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that, but for now, that's a great starting place to understand about the animals in this week's lesson. Later, we will talk about when people are clean and unclean, and that's something different entirely. And it isn't about being sinful or anything. Again, it's just talking about where stuff belongs sometimes, and usually just for a short period of time. And of course, people are always unclean for eating. We don't eat people. Not ever. People don't belong on the dinner table. Well, they do, but only if they're sitting at it. You guys know what I mean. And so all the two-by-two animals were the kind that were unclean, but unclean for what? For eating? Wait a minute. That can't be right because according to everything we've read so far, people aren't eating animals yet. In fact, it won't be until the ark sets down on the mountains of Ararat that God will tell Noah and his family that they can eat critters at all. And that's still a year away. Hmm. You know, this is why we have to put on our critical thinking caps, because we have a genuine mystery on our hands. So, if these animals aren't unclean for eating, what else is there? I mean... God hasn't told Noah that there will be meat on the menu someday, so there's no way he could be thinking about food. So if God was calling these animals unclean, then Noah would already know what it means, so what does Noah know about that we don't? Hey, wait. What 
what's Noah going to do when they get off the ark? What's the first thing he's going to do? Well, the first thing that happens once the flood dries up is that Noah will get out of the ark and sacrifice some critters that God's that God says he enjoys the smell of. And if you've ever been to a barbecue, you can totally understand that. A sacrifice is like a barbecue for God, even though he doesn't need to eat. And we already saw that Abel made an offering of a critter all the way back in Genesis 4, and God was pleased with that. Since Noah and Abel are from the same family, well, you know, obviously everybody's the same family at this point, right? I'm sure this information was passed down from father and son throughout all those generations. Remember our teaching about Toledot? That's the word that means generations, which means all people in a family tree. Your Toledot is your mom and dad, grandparents, great-grandparents, and will also include your children and grandchildren, and of course, you too. So Noah would have known for a long time which animals God wanted as gifts, as offerings, and since no one was supposed to eat meat yet, when the Bible is talking about animals that were in twos, and which were in groups of fourteens, or as the Bible says, seven pairs, which is two times seven, or seven plus seven. Well, to Noah, that could only mean one thing. God wanted Noah to bring seven males and females of the types of animals he likes on his altar as burnt offerings, which is God's barbecue. Now, what kind of animals are those? Well, even though the Bible says that we can eat animals like deer and moose and elk and giraffes, God never said that those were okay as gifts on his altar. Okay, but he does like sheep, goats, and cows. And if someone was very poor, they could bring a pigeon or a turtle dove offering. So on the ark, you would have two of everything except cows, sheep, and goats. Oh, and for some reason, they had to bring seven pairs of each kind of bird, too. I honestly don't know the answer why on that one, but that's okay. The Bible doesn't tell us why, and so it either can't be that important for us to know or we just don't understand anymore. And that's okay to not understand everything. As we go through the Bible, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're totally clueless about. <clears throat> now, so why was it important to have seven pairs of each of these critters? Why couldn't he just bring two of each like all the others? Well, as we're going to see at the end of the voyage, Noah is going to sacrifice some of the clean critters. Now, just think a bit and ask yourself what happens when you only have two animals, one male and one female, and you kill one of them. That's right. You have an extinct species just as soon as the other dies because there will be no baby animals. Extinct is a word that means an animal used to be alive on Earth, but now there aren't any more of them because they all died out, like the dinosaurs. Cows and sheep and goats would have gone the way of the dodo bird if there were only two of each and Noah sacrificed even one of each. I don't know about you, but I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you would miss hamburgers, okay? And if you like milk and cheese and do you like ice cream? No more of that either. And I guess we can call this first rule, the first rule of the two by two club. When you only have two of each kind of animal, don't kill one of them. But when you have seven pairs or 14 animals each of cows, sheep, and goats, you can afford to offer a few to God in order to thank him for saving your lives. 
and Noah's going to be told, after they land, that he and his family can stop being vegetarians and can begin to eat animals, and we have this exact same situation. What happens if you eat an animal that there are only two of? Like, hmm, I wonder what that dog tastes like. Well, come to find out it tastes like an extinct animal. And remember what extinct means, that there are no more of them before too long. Especially if he thought it tasted good and ate the other one too. But even though Noah and his family could eat the cows and sheep and goats, there are only 14 of each. And so they have to be smart about it. They can't eat meat very often. They have to wait until a whole bunch of critters start being born. And even then, they probably only ate the very old ones. In America, we eat a ton of meat. But in the ancient world, animals were too valuable to eat very often. When they would eat an animal, it was either old or it was male. So the bulls, rams, and billy goats, and not the cows or ewes or the does. Cows and ewes and does are more valuable because they can have babies. Have you ever been to a ranch or a farm where they have animals? Sometimes they will have fields and fields worth of female animals and only one male. Usually when you eat beef or lamb or goat, and especially in a store, it's a male animal. So all you boys should be glad you were born human beings, boy howdy, because you would almost certainly end up slapped between a couple of buns at McDonald's. Now, this isn't the only place in the Bible where pairs, or two of something, are mentioned. In the garden, there was only one person until God saw what a bad idea that was, and then there were two. Whoops. Moses and Aaron delivered God's messages to Pharaoh. In the book of Joshua, two spies are sent out to scout out the promised land, and especially Jericho. But the most important pairs in scripture were the groups of disciples sent out by Jesus to preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God to all of Israel. Now, why is it so important to send people out in groups of two? Well, here's our archaeology lesson for today. And you guys know how much I love to teach history and archaeology whenever I can, and you know what? The farther and farther we get into the Bible, the more of it I can teach because we have more evidence of what people were doing. From ancient writings of people like the Egyptians, Hittites, Babylonians, and Assyrians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans, and others, we can learn a lot about how Israel's neighbors did things. Because Israel did a lot of these things the exact same way, it really helps us to understand the world of the Bible. Now... In the ancient world, if a king had a very important message to send to another king, how do you think he would send it? Would he whisper it into the ear of one guy and send him off on a journey and just hope that the message gets delivered accurately? No way. Have you ever played the telephone game where you sit in a circle and someone whispers a message to the person next to them and everyone tries to say it perfectly to the next person, but by the time you get all the way around, the message is just usually crazy nonsense? Well, that's one good reason not to do that. But what if the messenger was made to practice and practice so that he wouldn't make any mistakes? You could do that, and that would be a great idea and as long as you could really trust the person, that worked. We'll get back to that in a bit. But what if it was just a regular messenger? If a messenger wanted to make trouble, or if he wanted to start a war when his king wanted peace or just whatever, then he could give a wrong message. 
And when you don't have telephones or telegraphs or the mail or the email, then a lot of bad things can happen to a good message to turn it into a bad message. Now, of course, some cultures had developed writing, and so they could send a clay cuneiform tablet sealed with the king's seal, and that really helped. But your best bet would be to send out two messengers, because between the two of them, they would keep each other honest. No one would really want to deliver a message and have the other guy said, Nuh-uh, that is so totally not what King Hassenpfeffer said. He said such and such. Because, you know, somebody's going to get executed. You know, off with his head. If he's lucky. Those ancient kings were nasty people, and they had some creative ways of making people suffer. But there was also something called the royal messenger. And we learned about this from the Hittites. Not only were they Israel's northern neighbors, living in modern-day Turkey, if you want to look on a map, but the Hittites were even living in the Promised Land during the time of Abraham. His grandson Esau married two Hittite women whose families were living there. Now, all these fears about messengers giving a bad sort of message went away if you could instead send a trusted member of your family, like the king might send a very close relative with the message, someone he trusts not only with his life but with his kingdom. He might do that if a message was very, very important and he didn't think he could risk sending it through anyone else. That sort of messenger is called a royal messenger because he wouldn't just be an ordinary person. And when another kingdom got a message through someone who is royalty, they know it's very serious business. Who can you think of in the Bible who was a royal messenger? Not Moses. Now, Moses was a very special messenger. And God did send Moses and Aaron to deliver messages to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was royalty. But Moses wasn't related to God, so even though he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter... In the palace in Egypt, when he served God, he was just an ordinary shepherd. What about the prophets? No, they weren't royal either. Hmm. Maybe we ought to go more into the future than just the prophets. But of course, you know that God had a very close relative to send messages through. Messages that didn't need to be written down because God could absolutely trust this messenger to deliver them perfectly. <sighs> and he could trust him because they had been together since the beginning. And according to the Gospel of John, everything that had been created was created through this messenger. John said that this messenger was that creative word of God, Jesus. Jesus who never sinned, not even once. Jesus who did absolutely everything God ever told him to do, no matter how difficult or painful. Jesus who loved people so much that he wanted to save them no matter what. Jesus who healed people of sickness. Jesus who made broken bodies work perfectly again. Jesus who battled demons and won every battle. Jesus who taught people what the kingdom of heaven was really like. And so Jesus could be trusted with God's message all by himself. But Jesus wasn't going to stay on earth forever. He needed to go back up to the Father. So he had to prepare more messengers and the message hadn't been written down yet. And there were no printing presses or Kindles or anything like that. So, they needed two messengers to go out together throughout the land because the message they were delivering was too important for anyone to just mess up. 
I mean, just think if they'd sent out Judas alone, right? I'm betting he would have been like charging money for his services instead of just preaching and healing people for free and accepting hospitality in people's homes. But in the ancient world, people didn't like to trust a message that came from only one person. Seemed suspicious to them. And I suppose that's a good idea even today. There are a lot of people who get all worked up by something that only one person says, and before they know it, they're scared and angry. They may not even know who that person is who told them. They might have just heard it on YouTube, or they don't know the person personally. I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to me when I was at my first job, because it was a lot like what happens to people in school or even in churches, and so it's important to share it. Have you ever been around someone who gossips? A gossip is a person who's always telling stories about other people. Sometimes they're true, or partly true, and sometimes they're lies. But the strange thing about gossips is how many people believe them. There are just way too many people who assume that when someone is sharing a negative story about someone else, it can't possibly be made up. But sometimes gossips are spiteful people who exaggerate and fill in the blanks of a story that they heard from someone else with their own personal opinions. And the next time the story gets told by whoever heard the gossip, those personal opinions get told as facts. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Hope you guys don't ever do this. Well, at my first job, I was working part-time in the lab and part-time in research and development at an aerospace company. And there was a huge meeting with the boss and all the research department, you know, was there. But because I was only part-time in research at that point, I wasn't at the meeting. I think it was in the morning and I was working in the, in, in the lab in the mornings. Well, one of the head researchers tape recorded one of those meetings. And as I was get, getting ready to start my half day in their department, I walked by as they were all huddled together and he was holding up his tape recorder. I hope you guys know what a tape recorder is. Ask your parents. <laughs> of course, I had no clue why he was doing that and didn't actually find out for another year. For all I knew, they were about to listen to music. I really didn't care. It didn't seem that exciting. But a few days later, someone told the boss about the tape recording. I still actually don't even know what the meeting was about. And someone blamed me. And before I knew it, no one trusted me. Of course, I had no idea what was wrong for about a year. People would make comments to me not to spill the beans when I overheard something, but I had no idea why until the head researcher was talking to me in his office one day and told me why no one trusted me. He said it was my own fault. And I was shocked. I hadn't done it, but I couldn't prove it. One person had decided I did it and told everyone else. Maybe they even got, maybe it was the person who did it trying to shift blame to me. So no one would expect them, suspect them. Now, and the person who did it, you know, they let me take the blame. No one ever saw me do it, of course. But because of one lying messengers, it made a lot of trouble for me. And I was pretty young. I was only 22 at that point. So always be careful to not just go believing everything you hear, even if the person who told it to you believes it or seems to believe it. They may not have any proof either. Best just not to listen to gossips at all. 
Now, I've got something to tell you guys. I'm going on vacation. And so I don't know how long it's going to be before we have a new episode. I've been very, very tired. I've been working very, very hard for years now. And I've done 43 episodes of this. And you can go back and listen to those again. I've also got my books. that My curriculum books of Context for Kids. And I've been doing my adult radio show for two and a half years now. And I am just all worn out. And you know what? It's okay to take a break. Everyone needs to take a break. If we don't take breaks, everything can just go wrong. And we're not able to just do anything well anymore. And I want to be able to give you guys good lessons. Anyway, I love you. I'm praying for you. And I hope you have a wonderful week studying the Bible with the people who love you. And you know what? I'm one of the people who love you. And I really do pray for you. And I'm excited about you studying the Bible. Bye-bye.